Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is kind of a deeper lesson. It's maybe not as practical, at least uh, on the surface, as you might expect. But I honestly have a a leading to go this way. And so I'm going to be obedient in doing that. God wrote the drama of redemption before the foundations of the world, before time began. And the Greek word for decreed in this verse is the word prarizo, prarizo. And it means to decide beforehand. So a playwright doesn't compose the second scene while the first scene is being acted out. He writes the entire story ahead of time. That's exactly what God did. And God not only wrote the drama of redemption, I'm using an analogy, but he produced it and he directed it. He set the stage, arranged the players, and began working behind the scenes. And in John chapter 12, verse 49, the protagonist and hero of this story, Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus did not ad lib his part. He carefully followed the stage directions. He was always standing on his mark. He knew when his entrance was and his exit. Sometimes he said to others, my hour has not yet come. He had a different clock than everybody else. He did not operate on man's schedule, but by divine timing. He would not let well-meaning but misguided people rush him into something before it was time. Praise the Lord. He stayed on schedule. And he stuck to the script, saying his lines the way he was instructed by the director. In other words, every word he spoke came right from the Father's heart. Are you listening to me? Jesus is at once the Son of God and the Son of Man. Divinity clothed with humanity. He was a man of destiny. That's what I want you to know. He was a man of destiny. He did not merely exist, occupying space and time. His life was not a series of coincidences. It wasn't all happenstance, the flip of a coin, the roll of a dice, just happened by chance. He was chosen. He is God manifest in the flesh, but he was chosen by the Father to fulfill heaven's purposes in the earth. 
It's interesting that the four gospels frequently tell us that things that happen to him, even sometimes seemingly mundane things, fulfilled what was spoken of him, what was foretold by the prophets of old. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 37, Luke chapter 22 and verse 37, in, another, in one translation it says this, Jesus said, and I am telling you, this must happen to me. Be certain that what is written about me is being fulfilled. In every action, every word, it's right according to the script, which the playwright wrote before time began. It's all being fulfilled. Even in the minute details of his life, it's all according to the script. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hmm. He was betrayed by a friend. He that has eaten my bread has lifted up his heel against me, the psalmist said. He's talking about Judas. They pierced his hands and feet. They all look on him whom they have pierced, the prophet tells us. They gave him, and for my drink, they gave me vinegar. Once again, David said that, but it's really predicting the sufferings of Christ. He was laid to rest on a borrowed grave belonging to a rich man. This is what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 53. It's all, and, and many, many, many other things, all according to the plan, you see. In John chapter 18, verse 14, it's so interesting. It says this, John chapter 18, verse 14, then Jesus... This is what happened in the garden, garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. See, that's interesting. Knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, said to the mob that came to arrest him, whom do you seek? Life for him was not a mystery. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going, and he knew how the story ends. He informed his disciples ahead of time more than once. I think three times in the Gospel of Matthew, he told them that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, handed over to wicked men, and there he will be crucified, executed, and on the third day he will rise again, you see. He knew. He knew the plan. And nothing would distract him from his mission. There's a verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, verse 7. It's really concerning the coming Messiah. And it says this, Isaiah 50, verse 7. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. What does that mean? Well, flint is one of the hardest rocks. You know, we use it to start fires for sparks and that type of thing. So what he means is like he is determined. He's not going to change his mind. I've set my face like flint. He would not be distracted or detoured from the plan of God. After informing his disciples of what lay ahead for him, Peter took him aside and said, Lord, pity yourself. This will not happen to you. He said that out of human concern, you know. Oh, don't say this. I, I wish for things better than this for you. But Jesus rebuked him. He rebuked him. He didn't say, oh, Peter, I love you, but you don't understand. He rebuked him. In fact, he said, 
get thee behind me, Satan. And he said, you're not thinking God's thoughts. You're just thinking human thoughts right now. He was determined to finish his course. He could have called 12 legions of angels to protect him, but he didn't. Pilate, Pontius Pilate at the trial, was looking for a reason to release him. He, the, the Bible clearly says, Peter said it on the day of Pentecost, said it in the book of Acts, that Pontius Pilate wanted to release him. He's trying to find a way to release him. But Jesus at that point remains silent. And so though Jesus' life was foreordained, predestined by the Father, that did not override or crush his own will. Let me say that again. Even though his life was predestined by the Father, none of this happened by accident, yet that did not eliminate Jesus' own will. That's why he prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He submitted himself to the Father's plan. At any moment, he could have walked away, untouched and unscathed. He said in John chapter 10, verse 18, John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me. What he means is my life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. What does that mean? He was not a victim of circumstances. He wasn't somebody who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was all a big mistake, and he got caught up in this terrible tragedy. No, he chose to obey. He went into this with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly, knowing all things that would happen to him, he knew exactly the suffering and the agony and the anguish which was before him. But he surrendered to the plan of God. See, we would surrender to God's will if it was a plan of joy and happiness and, and frivolity and good times and things of that nature. But he knew that the plan was first a plan of pain and suffering so that you and I would have joy. Amen. And he, the Bible says he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Now, friends, we talk about faith, you know, believing God for a need to be met or, or you're standing on a promise. But here is faith on a totally another level. Okay, you're going to die. And actually, your soul is going to go down into Hades. Because the Bible says that very clearly. Read this, Acts chapter 2 soul went down into Hades. You're going to suffer there, unimaginable torment, but I'll raise you up on the third day. And by the way, that's never happened to anyone ever before. <laughs> and you're going to believe that. That's Jesus kind of faith. Meanwhile, some people stopped coming to church because the usher didn't seat them in their favorite seat. <laughs> Amen. I lay it down of my own accord. He was in total agreement and he fully cooperated with the Father. Let me go a little deeper. 
I know this is not just looky, looky, here comes cookie. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit, we're going into the tall grass tonight. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to confuse anybody, but maybe some folks would benefit from this. Notice this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus, I believe Peter's preaching right now to the Jews. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this tells me that Jesus, his death was not an accident. He was put to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Hmm? What does that mean? It was the will of God, and it was not a surprise. God and the angels were not shocked when this happened. <gasps> this is all part of the plan. This was his fate. This was his fate. He was born to die. But in this verse, let's think a bit, men a bit, think a little bit. In this verse, Acts 2.23, put that verse on the screen, the whole screen, Put the whole verse on the screen at one time. Come on. The whole verse. The whole verse. Now they'll work on it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, those who crucified him are called lawless men. Lawless men. So here's what I want to ask you. If it was God's will, and of course it was, if it was God's will that Jesus die on the cross... Shouldn't these men who crucified him be applauded? Were they not doing the work of God? If they had not crucified him, we would still be in our sins. Yet this verse, Peter calls them lawless men. Well, let me give you another verse to chew on. In Luke chapter 22, verse 3, it says this, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles. Notice it doesn't say, this is what happened, you know, right there as they finished what we call the Lord's Supper. They had a Passover meal together just before his arrest that same evening. Notice it doesn't say, then the Holy Spirit entered into Judas. It says Satan. He was inspired by the devil. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So notice, Jesus did not commend Judas on a job well done. Thanks, Judas. That's all part of the plan. Appreciate your participation. Rather, he condemned Judas for doing the unthinkable. But if Judas had not conspired with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, Jesus would not have been arrested and crucified. And if he was not crucified, we would still be lost. True. But God the Father did not inspire Judas or lead him to commit this horrible sin. Jesus said, it'd be better if this man had not been born. That's a terrible thing to say. Yet it was the definite 
plan of God. See? Now, God did know ahead of time that this would happen. Well, does that mean that God the Father has committed an injustice? He knew that Jesus would be betrayed. He knew that there would be a kangaroo court, a, a sham of injustice, and that his son would be crucified. He knew this would happen. So does that mean that God has committed injustice? No, certainly not. Certainly not. If, if somehow I knew, like God supernaturally showed it to me just theoretically, if somehow I knew that tomorrow two men from Nagarjan are going to rob the State Bank of India, does that mean that I'm guilty of robbing a bank? Is that too deep for you? Let me help you. The answer is no. No, just because I know ahead of time that something's going to happen, that doesn't mean that I did it. God knows everything, but he doesn't do everything. There are evil men, the devil, you know, people that do things. He knows what's going to happen. That doesn't mean he did it. Are you out there today? Think about this. I know you're getting quiet because your brain is, you know, racked. All the fuses are popping. Let me just say this to you. Though Satan entered into Judas, Judas still had a choice. He did not have to yield to the suggestions and the temptations of the enemy. God has entered into you in the new birth. Do you always yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't pretend I know the answer. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So even though this happened, Judas still has a choice. And so he's still responsible. Are you out there today? Now, Judas and the Jewish leaders and the Romans, obviously they did not know the plan of God. Paul said that the redemption was a mystery. A secret and hidden wisdom. And we see that Judas was influenced, motivated by the devil. And we can safely say, I think it's very obvious, that the religious leaders who conspired against Christ were motivated by demonic forces. I mean, Jesus said to them in John 8, 41, I'm doing what I see with my father, and you're doing what you see with your father. And they said, God is our father. And he said, if God was your father, you would love me, but you don't love me. And then he said this, and I'm sure their heads exploded. You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Nuclear bomb goes off. These are the most religious people <laughs> in the nation. He said, you're of your father, the devil. What he was saying was they were, yield they were lost. And not only that, they were yielding to a wrong spirit. They were motivated by a wrong spirit. So then let's go one step further. Uh, uh, there's a reason why I'm saying all this. Just, just bear with me. Okay, so these men did not know the plan of God. Did Satan know the plan of God? No, we read it earlier in 1 Corinthians 2.8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
And when, see, when it talks about the rulers of this age, I don't believe he's talking about like Pilate and Herod and people like that because the Bible refers to the devil and demonic spirits as, you know, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. There may be a man that's operating. This kind of fits into our service tonight. There may be a man that occupies a position in the earth, but there are spiritual forces that are influencing that man. While I'm saying that, it just, it just, I just feel like, you know, sometimes we're dealing with just the man. We need to deal with the spiritual powers that are, that are influencing that man. And after all, if the devil could influence people who, to do wrong, could not the Holy Spirit influence people to do what is right? That's true. Amen. So by sending Christ to the cross, the devil and demons sealed their own doom and their own destruction. They unwittingly were part of God's master plan. In other words, they didn't realize they were participating in the plan of God. If they had known, Paul says, they would have never done this. If they had realized what they're doing, they would have said, no, 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 no. We don't want, Bar- we don't want Barabbas. We want Jesus released. <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. You see, God in his wisdom anticipated what they would do. The devil and devilish people. And he prepared for it. And then planned accordingly. Think about it this way. A grand master, a man who's at a high level of skill in playing the game of chess. Does anybody here ever play a game of chess with all the, the, the board pieces? My son loves to play chess. And when he was even younger, he, he wanted to play. And he would, he would sit opposite of my wife at the chessboard, you know, with the little pieces and everything, white and black. And, but neither of them knew how to play. So they would just move whatever pieces, that, you know, whatever they wanted to do, you know. But, you know, they didn't know how to play. But, you know, a, a, a grandmaster, he anticipates his opponent's next move. He knows. In fact, he will, if you, if you know chess, you'll understand this. He would sacrifice his queen in order to take the next move and put his opponent in checkmate. That's exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He anticipated their move. He knew that this is what's going to happen. So he sacrificed his king. And, you know, and the devil and the demons thought, <laughs> game over. And God said, checkmate. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 28, the apostles prayed. And in their prayer, they said that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, you know, they gathered themselves together in a raid against Christ. And he said this. They said this in their prayer to God, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. So, you know, Pontius Pilate, you know, Herod, the Jews and the Gentiles, they they took Christ, they crucified him. To do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. That's the same Greek word, 
It's translated predestined in, in a fee, uh, that we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. To determine beforehand. So God decided his plan ahead of time, but each person was responsible for their own actions. He did not make them do it. He didn't make Jesus do what he did. How would he make the sinners do what they did? They yielded according to their own will. Now, why are you saying all that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Same Greek word. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The New International Version says, In him we were also chosen. So we belong to him, to Christ. We are united with him. Our lives, our spirits are intertwined. Therefore, we are also people of destiny. Let me say that again. We're in him. He's in us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we also are people of destiny. That means God has selected us for an assignment. There is a divine purpose for our lives. So, the great drama of redemption, it continues on. It's not done. The final act is yet to come when Christ returns on the last day. It continues on. And you and I, we also have a role in this drama. We have a part to play. We have an assignment. Jesus knew who he was. And he knew his mission in life. We can... And we must know who we are in him. We must know our assignment. We must know our place. We must know our mission, our part in this great drama of redemption. Can we know? You know, in John chapter 5, verse 20, John chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father loves the Son. And therefore, he shows the Son everything he is doing. Well, that's wonderful. Praise God. The Father loves you. In John chapter 17, as Jesus was praying, he said that God loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. So he will show you what he is doing in your life. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will show you things to come. I don't think that just means like end time events. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. But I believe he'll show you things concerning your life. Maybe he's not going to show you everything, but he'll show you what you need to know. So that you 
See, we, we know as Christians that Christ is our role model, our example. We should be Christ-like. So we all know that you know, being Christ-like means like we should live a good life, a moral life. We, sh- we, should, we should be people who are honest, who have integrity. We should walk in love and kindness to others. We, sh- you know, we should be forgiving. We-, we get that. But there's another aspect of being Christ-like. He knew what was coming. He understood the Father's plan. That part evades us. We're just kind of bumping around. Wake up, go to work, come home, eat, sleep, wake up, do it again. God chose you not just to take up space and live in a moment of time to fulfill your destiny. To fulfill your destiny. So you see, therefore, God's definition of success is not who has the most stuff wins. <laughs> you know? You know that uh, you know that that it's all just a big game and and whoever has the most, you know, lands and houses and cars wins the game. That's not God's definition of success. If that was, then Jesus was a failure. Cuz he died even his clothing they took and laid in a borrowed grave. That's not God's definition of success. It's fulfilling your assignment. In heaven, it won't matter if you had a Mercedes or a swimming pool or a diamond ring. It won't matter. Nobody, you know, you're so happy that, ooh, I've got this gold necklace and I've got these gold earrings. Go to heaven and say, wow, they paved the streets with gold here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So notice we read in Ephesians 1.11, I'll wrap this up in a moment here, that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. We need God to work in our lives. But God does not work according to the counsel of your will. What does that mean? God's not interested in your opinion. He's, in my life, not that I'm exemplary in any way, but just, you know, I'm the guy speaking tonight. When it's your turn, you can speak. But, you know, in my life, in, in, in these years, the Lord has never once said to me, John, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? Well, uh, I think I'm called to Switzerland or maybe Hawaii. Maybe you could do Hawaii in the winter, Switzerland in the summer. No, he never, no, no. He's not interested in John's opinion. He's not asking my advice. Brother John, I've got a big problem here in the body of Christ. I need some help here. Can you help me? Yes, Lord, I'm here. What do you need? No, the Bible says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may be his counselor? Nobody. God, I need your advice. Isn't it funny how we try to tell God how to do his job when we don't even know how to do our job? (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for enthusiasm. So God's will is not necessarily what you think it should be all the time. You don't need to stare at me like a bunch of Presbyterian elders. It's true. God's will for your life is not always what you think it should be. God did not hand you a pen and say, write the script. 
Here's a blank sheet of paper. Just fill it in as you wish. He said, he has decided. I think the psalmist said, all of my days were written in a book before there was even one of them. God can see the end from the beginning. He's not up in heaven thinking, what am I going to do with this guy? I don't know. Any suggestions? He knew long before this world was created. He didn't make you and then find a purpose for you. He made you for his purposes. He's a God of purpose. He doesn't do anything by accident. Not everything that happens is from God, but everything from God is for a reason. Once again, not everything that happens to you is from God. You need to be discerning. That's why we need to know the word of God. But God doesn't make mistakes. God did not make a mistake in the way he made you. Come on, there's some people today, I'm sure nobody in India would be like this, but there's some people today in other places, and they think that, well, actually, I'm supposed to be a woman, but I was born a man. (laughs) I like to tell people that there was a time when I was trapped inside a woman's body, and then I got born. (laughs) God did not make a mistake, you know, I wish I was over from this country. I wish I was over there. God didn't make a mistake. I wish I was taller. Maybe he needs a shorter person for your job. I wish I I was skinnier. Maybe he needs a fatter person for your particular assignment. I wish my life was just more easy. Maybe he doesn't need an easy life. Maybe he needs someone who's been through tough times to minister to others who are going through tough times. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when it comes to God working in our life, he works according to his will, not ours. So if things are not working, it could be because that's not his plan for you. So here's just a little example. It's not earth-shaking or something like that, but so it comes to my mind. So uh, this summer, uh, my wife and I were in America, and we attended a conference for a few days, maybe like four or five-day conference in one particular city. We flew out there, and, and, uh, and um, we, um, I don't want to be unkind when I say this, but it's part of the, the example. So we stayed with some friends and they're sweet people. I really, I really appreciate them and love them. And, and I'm very grateful for their hospitality. But just to let you know that, you know, when you stay with other people, there are little adjustments that you have to make. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I don't mean to be ugly about it, but you, you know it's the truth. You're staying with somebody else. I mean, like one day is one thing, but like five days. Benjamin Franklin said fish and guests smell after three days. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> you know, so like... I'm not, again, I hope they don't hear this because I'm sure they would, they would take it the wrong way, but it's part of, there's a reason why I'm saying this. Like, the bed was too small. Jeppy's like normal size, but, you know, I'm not. And so, so, so we both couldn't sleep on the bed at the same time. We had to, like, hold on to each other and, like, you know, keep each other from rolling off the bed. And, and one, of, one of us had to sleep on the floor, and then, 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 we, the other, then we switched, and one of them slept on the couch. And, you know, you know it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Um, wait till the overflow guests arrive. Anyways, <laughs> and, then, and then like they didn't eat at the same timing that we were accustomed to. You know, like 
You know, they said, okay, we're ready to eat. And so we're like, we, we show up at the table and we had to wait and wait and wait. And so, so there's little things like that that, you know. And then to be honest with you, again, I don't mean to be unkind. I'm sorry to say this. But, but even the, I'm just saying, I don't, I never said this to Jeppy, I don't think. But, but even the conference, it was okay, but I did, it wasn't like I had really hoped. I'm just going to say that. It wasn't like I'd really hoped. I envisioned that the, the, the main uh, folks who were ministering would pray for us, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe lay hands on us. Maybe God would, you know, give us a word or something like that. And pff, nothing like that really happened, you know. And, and um, so anyway, so when the last night of the conference, I'm ready to go home. That's the point. I am ready to go home. You don't understand. Maybe you're ready to go home too, but hang on. And <laughs> So I'm sitting, or, or, or sitting in the meeting, and I happen to glance down at my phone. Some of you are doing that right now. I glanced down at my phone, and I got a, a SMS. I got a, a text message on my cell phone that said, informing me that my flight the next day back to my home state, my flight has been canceled. Right in the middle of the meeting. So everybody's going, hallelujah, and I'm going like... <laughs> No, no, no. So we went back to the house we were staying, and I called the airlines, you know. And uh, it's, it's different there, but, you know, so I called this number, and I get a computer, right? Not a human being, a computer, you know. And so they said, you know, press all these buttons. If you want English, press one, and all this kind of nonsense, and all these different things. And finally they said, your expected wait time is 24 Hours. You mean 24 minutes? 24 hours. Well, I'm not going to sit there for 24 hours. With my, I won't have an ear by the time. I mean. So I pressed a button and they said they'd call me back and everything. So I prayed. No, we got we to get home. We, we can't stay here any longer. You know, we're going crazy. One sleeping on the bed halfway, the other one sleeping over there on the sofa. We can't do this anymore. And uh, maybe I'm spoiled, I guess. But anyways, so I'm praying, you know, that God, we're leaving tomorrow. Somehow, you know, we'll leave in the evening. We're leaving, after, we're leaving tomorrow. And, and I felt like my prayers were powerless. And I felt like I was hitting a brick wall, stone wall. And then, you know... All the doors shutting, and we have another day here. And by the way, during the daytime, we had nothing to do, nowhere to go. I mean, we went shopping a little bit, but we're stuck here for another day. Well, uh, we, we happened to sit next to this young lady. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind. Forgive me, but I'm just going to tell you. I'm being very, maybe too transparent. That's my problem. But we sat next to this young lady in the conference who was from Northeast India. This is in America, but she was from Northeast India. She was from a nearby state. And uh, we, we knew that she had married someone from America, but he never was in the meeting, so I, I didn't know what happened or anything like that. And so, uh, so we had this extra day, nothing to do. So we contacted her. I think some, somehow Jeppy got the number, and, and we said, well, can we meet for dinner? And so uh, she's staying with some other family. She doesn't have a car or anything, so we had to just go and pick her up, or she walked, or we, and, we, and, we, and we met her at this restaurant. And so it's a nice place, and we started eating, and so I don't remember how the conversation began, but at some point it, it came around to, you know, her marriage to this American and so forth and so on. And she began to open up her heart that she was divorced and that she went through a very painful situation where things were not like she expected. 
and her husband, I don't know, there was some issues there. And her, I don't think she, she doesn't feel she was treated right by her in-laws. I mean, I'm, I wasn't part of this story, but I'm just telling you what she said. And then she began to weep in the restaurant as she's telling us this. And it's very touching, you know. And, and so, you know, since Jeppy's married to an American, she right away just glared at me. Yeah, I, I know how you feel, sister. <laughs> God have mercy on you. I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> and so, you know, we talked and we tried to encourage her and, and share with her. And then um, she, she, she walked to the place where she worked. She had no vehicle. So uh, we were heading, you know, back to the car. And so I said, well, let's, I don't remember, but we said, let's go shopping. And so she kind of reluctantly agreed and we bought her some things. I don't remember, you know, some clothes and a dress or something like that. And she was so happy, you know, and she was so thankful and her tears kind of dried up and she felt, you know, we prayed with her and that type of thing. And so we dropped her off and she was just, you know, just, you know, blessed and everything. So I'm driving back to the house where we're going to stay, and suddenly I saw it. It's like something inside me said, this is why your flight was canceled. As for God, his way is perfect. So what you think could be a disappointment could actually be a real blessing in somebody's life. The thing that you think is going to be a real blessing could be a dud. (laughs) Hopefully that's not this service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God is a God of purpose. I'll just, I have to just wrap this up. God's power is connected to his purpose. God's power is connected to his purpose. When you discover God's purpose for your life, you'll experience his power for your life. When you found your place, you found your grace. You see. So many people, especially in our day, are pursuing power when they should be pursuing purpose. Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth. He read from the scriptures from the book of Isaiah. And it says in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, he read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because there's always a because the spirit of the Lord is upon me Hallelujah. No, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus knew there's a reason why God puts his spirit on people. If you don't know your purpose, you can't flow in your anointing. You may be trying to do things God did not call you to do, and there's no grace there. There's no anointing there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You and I need to know our purpose in life. That's that's your main objective. The Christian life is a life of discovery, discovering God's plan for your life. Can you know it all tonight? But you can begin taking the next steps. Maybe, is it possible 
Is it possible that you didn't even feel like coming to the service tonight? I know that's possible. But is it possible that maybe even coming here tonight is a, in a small way a part of that plan? Because some things have been said that maybe you would not have known or never even begun to think about if you hadn't been here. It's a life of discovery. It's a life of obedience. You and I are people of destiny, but like Christ, we have to submit to the will of God. We have to obey.